Roger just leaned over to me and said, I had to sing just one. And I understand that the fire burns in these guys that in their hearts and souls like those of us who preach and those of us who worship as well. There were two brothers, uh, Dick and Bo Baker, years ago, both now with Jesus. And Dick was the preacher, and Bo was a worship leader. And Bo said one time, he said, you know, Dick's always anxious to get up and preach. And he did a lot of revival meetings and stuff too, you know, Bible conferences. But he said, he doesn't realize that my soul is so moved, waiting to sing, I want to pull on his coattail and get him to shut up and sit down so I can sing and lead the people in worship. I was thinking this morning, sitting up here, as we sang those songs, I love the old hymns, the old songs of worship. They massage our souls. They prepare our hearts. And they're so filled with truth. You can look at, I mean, you read those lines. Don't sing them, just get your hymn and sit out and read those lines. And you're going to worship far better than a chorus that has one verse or two and you sing it 11 times standing on your feet. That moves the emotions and you can be emotionally moved and never have your heart move a bit. But when your heart is massaged with the truth of God contained in these old standards of the faith, then we're ready to be fed the word of God. Or in my case, preach <laughs> the word of God. And if you've never, if they don't make you want to preach, singing all that stuff, you know, it's just plain. You've never been called to preach because <laughs> it stirs me up and most me, makes me want to preach the Word of God. It's true spiritual assurance. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through 12, we'll read in a moment. Assurance. True spiritual assurance. Webster defines assurance as full confidence. Full confidence. Freedom from any doubt. Certainty. Do we have that? Do we have full confidence? Absolutely no doubts. Total certainty concerning our spiritual life. Do we have certainty, in other words, spiritual assurance? If we do, then we're living out our days on planet Earth in absolute confidence that heaven is our next place of abode. That's it. If we have absolute spiritual assurance now, we're just living out our days, our appointed days, by the way. The Word of God says that our days are appointed more there's ever one of them by the Father. It's interesting because we used to hear about accidents and, and murders and heart attacks and cancer and whatever. But God's Word says our days are appointed before there's one of them. And if we have true spiritual assurance, we're just living out those days that our Heavenly Father has sovereignly appointed until we take up abode in His glorious presence in eternity. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul and a, a, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, 
my dearly beloved, dearly beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I might be filled with joy. Where I call, when I call to remembrance the sincere faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now it's made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we love you. We love to worship you, Father. We're grateful, Lord, that you gifted all these hymn writers down through the centuries. And under your direction, Lord, they, these hymns so beautifully exhibit the truth of Scripture and quicken our hearts to worship. We're grateful for these men and women, those who wrote, those who put music to them. Thank you, Father, for their testimony that continues and is used by you in our hearts and lives on a daily and a weekly basis. So, Father, we thank you for your word, preserved for us by your sovereign power. We treasure it, Master. We want to remember every principle, precept, every line. Fill our hearts and souls with it. Just Brand our souls with your holy truth, Father, for your honor and for your praise and your glory. And I surrender to you, Father, will of God be done in us this place, this day, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. True spiritual assurance. Well, is it safe to say from what Paul wrote in the 12th verse, that he had spiritual assurance? Let's read it again. For which cause? What cause is that? He's appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, and that's what he was guilty of. And that's all he was guilty of. And he was in prison because of it. And this is the letter, second letter to Timothy. The first letter to Timothy, he was not in prison. This is the last go-round right here. And Paul likely never saw 
free day after his imprisonment there when he wrote this epistle. For these things I suffer, these things for this cause. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe, and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I don't know about you, but I believe that the Apostle Paul was sitting in that dungeon in Rome in full assurance of his salvation. And not only that, but in full assurance of the call upon his life. Wow. He was much better off than some of those prisoners, wasn't he? Full assurance of his salvation. You ever wondered about Paul? You know, when we when our chins on our chest and our backs to the wall or whatever, you know, and this life is just out of kilter. And we got challenges, and it may be illness, it may be the death of a loved one, it may be frustrating things in Washington or at work or whatever. And we go to the Word of God and we find comfort there and we have a reminder daily that our God's in control. It helps us along, doesn't it? You ever wonder if Paul did that? You wonder if Paul, after he wrote this second letter to Timothy, and then there was days, unending days there in that prison, he reflected on what he wrote and found encouragement in what he wrote because he knew fully well that he didn't write it alone, is under the ministry and the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. So he could go back and think, well, I remember the first thing I said to Timothy in that letter, and then I remember this, then I remember that. Let's just assume that he did that, that Paul reflected, not only on this letter, but he had plenty of time for reflection, I'm sure, but on the whole counsel of God in the Old Testament that he had, to find encouragement there. Maybe he just thought again about verse 1. Verse 1, about his being called according to the will of God. He was suffering these things as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the gospel, but it was the will of God that called him according to the promise of life in the Lord Jesus. I'm in a bad place here. They got me chained in this place. I'm chained in this place because I'm a preacher and teacher of the gospel. But my God called me to preach and teach the gospel. Therefore, I did. And therefore, I shall by pen and ink in this place. And if I ever see the light outside of this again, I'll preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be reflected on verse 9, how he was saved, called by that holy calling. But it had nothing to do with anything that he had previously accomplished in his whole life. Paul had been a very religious man, a worshiper of the one true God. He was a leader among the sect, the Judaizers, the Pharisees. But it had nothing to do with any of that. He had a call upon his life to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A holy calling that had nothing to do with that at all. Just solely according to God's only purpose and holy purpose and grace. 
<laughs> and on top of that, not only was he according to the, God's holy purpose and grace, but it was given to him in Christ Jesus and to us before the world began. Now, I don't know about you, but these words are encouraging to me. And I've read them, as you have probably, dozens and dozens and dozens of times through the years. I said, wait a minute, I'm not liking this. And I've said to the Lord, Lord, I don't like this at all. As they said back in Ellis County, don't like it at all. But I know you're in charge. And Lord, I don't know what you're trying to teach me on this time around, Mount Sinai, but I want to learn it well because, Lord, if it's okay with you, I don't ever have to go through this again. It's okay to be honest with God verbally because you're honest with him anywhere you want to or not because he's reading you like a book before we ever say a word. But encouragement from the word of God. John Calvin said, in order to attain an awareness, excuse me, an assurance of our salvation, we ought to begin with the word of God. True. Assurance comes from the word of God. And with it, our confidence ought to be satisfied, he said. Our confidence ought to be satisfied because we have gone to the word of God to help us with our assurance. We ought to be satisfied with that, he said. It's the word of God. We ought to then be confidently calling upon the author of it all, our Father. So if we find ourselves struggling with spiritual assurance at any time for, for any reason, we should immediately get along with the Lord, with the Word, and then on our knees. It's amazing what that does. You've experienced it, I'm sure. Your heart's broken, or you're just absolutely perplexed. You just don't know what to do. And you get along with God. I remember my first pastorate. I was successfully daily learning everything they didn't tell me in seminary about being a pastor. And I had some real zinger people there <laughs> that were causing some consternation. And one of them was a newborn that my wife and another team member we're out visiting was really used of God in bringing this guy and his wife to salvation, sharing the gospel with them. And they were, I baptized them both. And had a church on the rock over there, the charismatic deal over on the main street. And, and he got involved over there and got the, that second blessing they talk about. And then he came over with all these his Bible marked on all these proof texts and he said, I need 15 minutes in every adult Sunday school in this place because the Spirit of God is not on this place. And I said, no, we got a problem. <laughs> and I explained to him, I said, you know, you're not the only one that God's speaking to in this community and I'm not going to let you do that. So then he went out all over town and told all these things about me, you know, just... And Waverly was so mad she couldn't see straight. <laughs> but it was a hard time. This is my first pastorate. 
And I remember going out to the study there and getting on my knees and staying there. Because I, 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 this was, it was tough. And I stayed there and stayed there. And then just there was those times when I was just enveloped with the presence of the Lord. So I prayed some more. And then I, my study was off, went into the house. I went back through there and through the kitchen and started down the hallway to go, because late at night and everybody's in bed. Go to bed. And there's, we had this gosh awful ugly orange chair that someone gave us that we couldn't get rid of, you know. It was a gift to the pastor and his wife. And I saw that chair and I went in there and knelt in the living room and said, Lord, you know, I don't want to leave your fellowship. I would just want to hover right here, and I did. How did it all come about? Nothing changed out there. The attack was still going on, but the Word of God and time with Him alone brought that holy, blessed comfort that the world will never give you and the counsel of a friend won't give you either. You get it alone with your God in the Word of God and on your face before your Lord and God. Spiritual assurance. A God-given conviction of our standing in grace stamped on the heart and mind by the Holy Spirit. That's a good definition of spiritual assurance. A God-given conviction of our standing in grace, stamped on the heart, on the mind and heart by the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Holy Spirit always uses the Word of God. That's why we need to do our part, saturate our souls with the Word of God. Now, spiritual assurance is not to be confused with eternal security. Spiritual assurance is not to be confused with eternal security. And eternal security is not to be confused with spiritual assurance. Okay? One can possess eternal security. Okay? But not have spiritual assurance. One can experience spiritual assurance, but lack eternal security. Now, I don't want to be confusing. Let me say it again. One can possess eternal security, but not have the experience of spiritual assurance on a daily basis. One can experience spiritual assurance, but have no eternal security. How can that be? Well, the Bible teaches that there's a thing as false assurance. False assurance. People are very sure, but they have no eternal security. Paul was a very religious man. He was very certain this cult, following this carpenter guy down there, had to be stopped. And he had edicts. They were arresting him and hauling him off to jail. He was very sure that he was on the right track and very assured that he was on the right side of the issue spiritually. There is a false assurance. 
It's kind of it's like a herd security, really. Well, you know, all my friends believe the same thing. We're all on the same page. So, you know, there's so many of us. How could we all be wrong? We're just not wrong. Because our group believes this. Matthew 23, 15. Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, a large group. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. This is a very religious group of people. And not only were they very religious, they're very evangelical. They were looking for converts and pursuing converts. Jesus said, when you find one, you make him a child of hell like yourselves. John 2.25 speaks of Jesus saying, he did not need anyone to testify what was in man because he knew what was in man. Obviously, Jesus could look at every individual, can look at every individual, discern the difference, if it exists, between the outward appearance and the inward reality. That's what happened in John chapter 2 and verse 25. He looked on those people that all came forward that day and saw that the outward appearance was different than the inward reality because he knew what was in them and thus knew what was not in them. Matthew 23, 28. Even so, ye outwardly appear righteous unto men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. This is, a, this is one of those passages you say, wow, think about this. We've read it before together, I'm sure. Verse seven, chapter 7, 21 through 23. Jesus is speaking. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name we've cast out devils. In thy name we've done wonderful works. And Jesus said, and then... I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It's pretty frightening, isn't it? This is not the world out there. This is people that are under the blanket umbrella, supposedly, of Christianity. Whoever they are. And I'm not their judge. But there are some then, and now I trust, that are prophesying in the name of Jesus, casting out devils in the name of Jesus, and doing wonderful works in the name of Jesus. They don't know Jesus. That's what he's saying. It's Jesus saying, I, don't ever, I never knew you. It doesn't mean he wasn't acquainted with who they were. <laughs> it means he had a personal relationship with them. That's, that's something to think about. 
And if you have full biblical assurance of your salvation, the only thing I can say to you about that is this. Be careful who you listen to. Me included. Be careful what you listen to. Jeremiah 79 says, Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? We see so much counsel out there, don't you? Well, just trust your heart. And the devil says, yeah, just trust your heart. I've lived a few years. The only thing I've ever found that I could trust was this than the Father. That's it. That doesn't mean I didn't trust my wife. But at once while she burned the toast. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? You know what I'm saying. We can be misled. We can be living in a spiritual assurance and not have any assurance spiritually whatsoever. The Bible teaches also, praise God, there's a true assurance. 1 John 5, 3. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's assurance. That you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Romans 8, 16 says, The Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We can have spiritual assurance, but it's always according to the Word of God, and the, the assurance always comes from the Word of God. Not out there. It's always in the Word of God. Someone said this, well said, I think, Faith is heaven by and by, but assurance is heaven on earth. Isn't that wonderful that we can be here today as children of God, blood-bought, grace given before the foundation of the earth, and know for certain that we are going to heaven when we die? That's heaven on earth. Only one or two places for us to be. Absence of the body, we're there. Present in the body, we're here. No in-between. Nothing else to do. Jesus paid it all. The Bible also teaches that a true believer can lack assurance. Generally saved, but the, the highs and lows of life, he gets a little shaky in confidence. Turn over to Mark chapter 9. Here's a father with a seriously, sadly afflicted son. Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 27. One of the multitude answered, got all these gathered around Jesus, said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And whithersoever he taketh him, he tears him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spoke to thy disciples that they should cast them out, and they could not. Verse 19, he answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? <clears throat> how long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Verse 20, and they brought him unto him. When he saw him straightway, the spirit tore him. He fell to the ground, wallowed around, foaming. He asked his father, how long is it since this came up unto him? He said, I'm a child. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, 
If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. I believe, but Lord, these areas of my life where I'm struggling, help me with my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, told them to get out of here. Don't ever come in to him again. Enter him no more. The spirit cried, tore the boy again, came out of him. And the boy was as one dead in so much as all the people said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and he rose up. Three things happened that day, really. One, a child was once and for all healed of that evil spirit, whatever that was. Secondly, a father's faith was matured that day. His area of unbelief was certainly helped forward. And then a disbelieving crowd received a clear witness of the power and authority that this supposedly to them Galilean carpenter fellow possessed in and of himself. The Bible also teaches that a true believer may lose and forfeit his or her assurance from time to time. You ever had that time in your life? You think, oh my, I bought the form this time. Will God ever forgive me for this? Psalm 88. Turn to Psalm 88. Let's go there. Psalm 88. I want to read verse 14 first. Psalm 88. My little wife used to say, Ray, wait till this page stop swishing. Give the people time to get there. You know, when you're preaching, you just want to go, go, go. Psalm 88, 14. Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I would say that he was on spiritual ground, shaky at best, right? Lacking some assurance, certainly troubled in spirit. Now let's read 1 through 7 of the same song. O Lord God of my salvation. He knew he was a saved guy, I guess, had a relationship with God. I have cried day and night unto thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thy ear to hear me. For my soul is full of troubles. My life draweth nigh unto the grave. I'm counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. That's where I am, Lord. I feel cut off. Like a dead man. Dash laid me in the lowest pit, and darkness in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me, <clears throat> pardon me, with all thy waves. Certainly he was a believer in God. And you know what you can read from these lines right here? He had lost something that he had. He knew he was missing what he had once had. That's why he's crying out to God. 
because he knows he's in a spiritual mess at the moment. <clears throat> so, I don't know why he lost his assurance, forfeited it, maybe through sin, I have no idea. But he knew he was missing something that he had been used to before, become accustomed to it. You know, that's a wonderful thing about walking in the Spirit of God. And you have those days and you're walking along in the Spirit of God, you're walking in unhindered fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty. And the Word of God is live to you, it, it, you know, and when you read the Word of God and when you get on your knees in prayer, boy, it's, oh man, there's fellowship there and there's joy. And then you stumble in sin and you will know really well what you are missing that you had the day before yesterday. Or you just drift, I'm too busy, don't have time to read the Word today, don't have time to pray today. You believe all those lies, and they are lies. Martin Luther... Well, none of the advantages of the technology of today. Sat upon a time. I have so much to do today, I, I must pray at least three hours before I commence. You know how many hours is his day? 24. We have time for the Word of God. We do. You do? I do. And we have time to pray. So let's examine the scriptural basis for assurance. True assurance. If we are born of God, and some part of this is working into a review of some of the things we've studied in 1 John together. But if we're born of God, the Word of God has been made alive to us. Now, I don't know how many years you read, try to read this book before you're ever born of God, but it was like reading a book, and it could be really put you to sleep. You know, and you're like, well, i got to read so many verses, that's what the... But after you're saved and the Holy Spirit of God comes in here who wrote this through those holy men of old carried along, all of a sudden, this is a whole new game right here. Oh, I've never seen this before. And it's alive. And it never changes. The Word of God never changes, but it's ever alive. And you'll see things new and again five and ten years from now. You say, oh, wow. And the Holy Spirit just presses that particular verse to your heart. The word of God has been made alive. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That's when you get to the point where you don't read it like a novel anymore, but you're reading like the living word of God that it is. Food for our souls. Spiritually blind can't do that. That's why it was dull to us before we were saved. These things are spiritually discerned. Have to be. 1 John uh, 2.14, I think it is, tells us that. Only the the spiritually blind can't see it. All these things must be spiritually discerned. We can't just spiritually discern anything if we don't have the Holy Spirit in us to discern it, <laughs> right? Acts chapter 16, turn there if you want. This is about the experience of Lydia. Here's a worshiper of God. That's what the scripture says. She was a worshiper of God. But she had an experience with God that day she hadn't had before. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, <clears throat> heard us, Paul and Solomon, whose heart the Lord opened. <laughs> Maybe she's like all of the Jews. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They were worshipers of the one true God. But we just heard about a bunch of those folks who, read, who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards 
and they were evangelical. They were going to try to find proselytes. And Jesus said, you're liars and hypocrites. Citizens of hell. But here was a worshiper of God, and her heart was open. So what can we surmise from that? Those other people out there, the Lord hadn't opened their hearts. Because the Lord has to open the heart to receive the things of God. The Lord opened her heart. She attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. When she was baptized, heard a household. Says, come stay with us and abide with us. And they did. Stephen Charnock said, assurance is the fruit that grows out of the root of saving faith, which is a gift of God. Now, added to his quote some. Okay? I hope he doesn't mind. Assurance is the fruit that grows out of the root of saving faith, which is the gift of God. We're saved by faith, but that's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. So spiritual assurance really has a lot to do with one's diet. Everybody's thinking about diets, right? Well, that's the holy manna diet. Spiritual assurance, you're just not going to have it apart from this. But this will fix your issues with shaky assurance. So how much are we assuming, consuming each day? You know something lately, I know, you know, people got jobs, got responsibilities, mama's daddy's working, all this stuff. But all of us have time for this. All of us. You know, it may be your days are so, so booked, so tight. But you know what you can do? You can ask the Lord to direct you, and then get you some three to five cards. Okay? And you write out, or you can print them out now on your computer these three to five cards, maybe two or three key scriptures on this one and then this one and this one. Stuff those cards in your pocket. And then you got to wait for a meeting. Provide a card. You can buy these cards already printed up. But it's better to select your own. We can saturate our souls with the Word of God on a daily basis. And you know something? If you're saying you're a wrong preacher, I want you to see me after church because you got an idea or a reason I had never heard of before because none of them before ever made any sense. We can saturate our souls with the living Word of God if we were to live alive in assurance with God. It's required, the diet of the Word of God. And there's nothing more precious. And, and then when you're going along, and here's a challenge, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit Hey, Bratcher, remember this verse? He brings it to mind, and it fits perfectly the situation that we're confronted with. And there's a witness of the Spirit. I mentioned before, the Spirit of God is assuring us, bearing witness that we are His children as we go along. John said 510, 1 John, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. What's the evidence of that? Last phrase, because he believeth the record that God gave of his son. And you can't believe that record apart from the Holy Spirit of God. That's a work of regeneration in our lives and the gift of faith and all of that stuff that God has done spiritually for us, enabling us to see and believe and behold the Lamb of God as our Savior and place our faith in him. And there's no immediate 
testimony to be had apart from the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is going to always use the Word of God one way or another. He's going to use it. Then we have a walk that reveals the presence of God in our life. <coughs> John said 5.13, verse, verse John, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, what were those things? Well, belief in the Word of God. He that believeth that Jesus is Christ is the Son of God. At last verse it says, he's been begotten of him. And that begotten of him, in the Greek, has been begotten, is the way it's written. The belief is the evidence that he's been begotten. Not believing gets him begotten. Begotten gives the evidence there, the evidence that he is one that believes. Regeneration precedes belief. Then obedience to the word of God. John says, we love the Lord, we're going to keep his word. And I wrote this out, obedience to the word of God as a consistent and comfortable lifestyle. Certainly we should be consistent, but comfortable? Obeying God? Obeying all these commandments? Yeah. What does the word say? 1 John 5, 3. His commandments are not grievous. If we're reborn, it sounds like good stuff. And is appealing to our soul that has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not grievous to do this stuff. This is my Father's word. This is his laws of love for you and I. Hereby do we know that know him if we keep his commandments. That's assurance. Charles Spurgeon was speaking to his ministry students in Spurgeon College one day and he said, if a person in one of your parishes that you ultimately go to should ever say to you that they know God's will but have no intention of obeying it, you are not to pander their presumptions, but you are to immediately tell them they're lost and without God. <laughs> oh, Spurgeon had a way of cutting across the field, you know, but profoundly. That's true. If someone says to you, I know what's God's will is, but I'm, I'm no way I'm going to do that. Well, then you need to use that time as an occasion to say, well, you need to think about this for a moment. You have no interest in doing this? No. You know what's God's will? Yes. Have you ever considered you don't know God in the first place? You've never been born of Him? No, they probably haven't. Then there's a fruit of holiness, a lifestyle. Does not yet appear what we'll be. But when we shall appear, we shall be like him. So we shall see him as he is. Everyone that has this hope, though, of being like him and seeing him as he is, what are they doing right now? Purifying themselves, John said. Purifying ourselves. And then we love each other. You know, all of us have lost friends, don't we? I've got some lost friends that I've known all my life. I grew up with them, went to school with them. Good old boys, gals. A lot of them are lost. You know, at best, I've known folks in this church, some of you not as long, but maybe 10 or 12 years. And my relationship with you far surpasses my relationship with them. I love them in a way, but they're not my siblings in Christ. There's something about the blood of Jesus in us. 
redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And it presses our hearts together where we just don't have to work at it. <clears throat> Some of those old boys I've had to work at continue to care about through the years. And I guess them probably think of me that day, same way too, since I became a preacher. You know, I'm not as popular as I used to be around some old folks. But I don't have to work at loving you. And I hope you don't have to work at loving me. I'm not going to suggest you're lost if you have to work at loving me. I understand that, okay? <laughs> I may be hard to love. But get over it. <laughs> I'm born of God and know it. <laughs> I'm playing with you, of course. <laughs> but this, <laughs> there's nothing like the body of Christ. We were so concerned about this memorial service tomorrow. Weather's going to be tough. Safety, yes, that's one thing. But Eddie and Charlene are loved in this church. And we want a good showing here, affirming that to Charlene and her kids, that we love you and we're here with you in this. Because we're family, and that's what family does. Again, the question, do you have biblical assurance? True biblical assurance of your salvation. It's that God-given conviction stamped on your heart and soul. It just doesn't go away. All may break loose tomorrow, but that didn't. You have assurance of your salvation. You've heard people say, well, this year made me question my faith. Never happens to you if you have true biblical assurance. It doesn't make you question your faith. It just makes you say, Lord, help. That's all. Lord, help. The Word of God's been made alive, continues to be made alive. And the Spirit's bearing witness with your spirit right now, right this moment, that you're His kid. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord of glory running the universe. And right now, His Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you're His, His, His. Mercy and grace. And we walk in those things just an evidence of the presence of God in our lives. But any of you here, or any of you in the sound of my voice, have any uncertainty, you need to deal with it right now. Because uncertainty spiritually can be eternally dangerous, even damning. Spiritual uncertainty can be just that. You know what spiritual procrastination is? Spiritual procrastination. It is gambling <clears throat> with your eternal destiny of your soul using your heartbeat as chips. Oh, I'll think about that tomorrow. I'll think about that next week. Your heartbeat is your chips in that game of gambling. But you know what we don't know? We don't know when the heart stops. And when the heart stops, and we've never come to Christ, the game is over as far as having an opportunity to come to Christ. It's done. Spiritual procrastination is a real problem. Surrender to Jesus today, if you haven't done it already, and be certain forever in a day that you're His without question.
saved unto the uttermost by the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Father, rich is your mercy, glorious is your grace, and we adore you, Father, we do. And we adore you, Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and we treasure you, Holy Spirit, your presence in our lives. Oh, Lord God, wear us all like garments as bright beacons in this world of darkness that every day that remains of our earthly sojourn. For your honor, praise, and glory, and for our distinctive witness unto thee in Jesus' name. Amen.